Hello and welcome to Just a Guy and His Journey Back to God. So today we're in Revelation 11, but before we go there, let's let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you for this day and for taking care of us. Thank you for the many blessings you've bestowed on us. You're a kind and gracious God, and I'm very grateful and undeserving. And Father, I just come asking, though, as your child, that you would help me to understand this next chapter. This chapter with the witnesses, with your covenant, with heaven opening up. I just pray, Father, for your Holy Spirit to guide me, guide me and guide us as we read. I pray most of all that it be you who speaks to us, Holy Spirit, that it be you who talks to us, whose understanding we gain, that there'd be nothing from me, nothing from my interjection, but everything from you. I just praise you and thank you for all that you've done. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as I'm going through the reviews of this, you know, there's a lot of different pieces and they all focus primarily on the two witnesses. And I will say also, there's not a ton written. There's not a lot of sermons. There's a number of commentaries and whatnot, but they cover a lot on the two witnesses and it's a lot of symbolism and whatnot. And what really struck me was number one, A.W. Tozer doesn't cover anything here again. Doesn't have any writings, doesn't have any musings on it. Um, and so I started to think about this as I've read it probably, I don't know, just a ton because I was just trying to understand it. And then I just went with the part that struck me and that's at the end. It's not all the symbolism around the measurements, um, not anything about that, about the temple. It's all about the end when God opened up the heavens and what he showed. And that happened to coincide with, with what Charles Spurgeon wrote. Spurgeon also talked about this. He didn't talk about the witnesses. He didn't give sermons on the witnesses. There was nothing in his, I think there's like close to a thousand sermons. Maybe that's, I'm probably overdoing it, overstating it. But man, there's a lot. Basically from 1840s all the way up until 19, I think it was 11 is the most recent one I read. And so there's a lot of sermons and he only had two on chapter 11 and neither of them had anything to do with, with these, with the witnesses. Instead, he kind of went where I went, what touched my heart. And that was when God opened the, the heavens and there was his covenant. There was the Ark of his covenant, not the Ark of the covenant. So I found that to be interesting. So anyways, with that, let's start off in chapter 11, verse 1. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God in the altar with its worshipers, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months, and I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. 
They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. That's a lot of power. That's a lot of, you know, strength there. Verse 7. Now, when they had finished, have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending gifts to each other, because these two prophets had tormented those who live on earth. But after the three days, the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, while their enemies looked on. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. So this is, I believe, the first time we see man changing his perspective. It's only after all this has occurred, after all the plagues, after all the pain and suffering that everybody has gone through, they finally, after three and a half years of witnessing, and then their deaths, and then their being brought back to life, only then do people start turning from their ways, from their stubbornness, from their idolatry. Verse 15, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven, which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. So I think it's interesting that we don't see God just sitting up there ready to destroy. I mean, granted, there's flashes of lightning and rumblings and a hailstorm. But that's going on in heaven. We don't see him standing there staring down at people, pissed off. Instead, what we see is his covenant right near him. We see the covenant, the promise of his love right there with him. We don't see all these other things that we would think. It's not the angry ticked off God with white hair and a big beard and just mad. 
Instead, we see his promise, his covenant. So Charles Spurgeon, he writes, I shall begin by, I shall begin by noticing first that the Ark of his Covenant is always near to God. There was seen in his temple the Ark of his Covenant. Of course, the outward symbol is gone. We are not now speaking of a temple made with hands, that is to say, of his building, or of this building. We speak of the spiritual temple above. We speak of the spiritual holy of holies. If we could look in there, we would see the Ark of the Covenant, and we would see the covenant itself always near to God. The covenant is always there. God never forgets it. It is always before him. There was seen in his temple the Ark of his covenant. So, I just listen to that, and I think about it. And God is there, and he's got his promises to us and to the world. He's fulfilling his promises, his covenant. And his covenant is through Jesus Christ who has forgiven us. It's through his grace and his mercy. That's the covenant of God, that he loves us and he wants what's good for us. So instead of thinking about God as angry at me, which I do all the time because I fail, I swear, I cuss, I think bad things. Instead, I need to realize that God is standing there by his promises and he loves me because his son loved me. Because I'm made pure in his sight, not because of anything I do, but because of his love for me and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And it's that understanding, it's that incorporation into my spirit, into who I am, that is really my struggle. I continuously think I need to do things better, to be loved, to live up to his his mercy to live up to his grace. And there's nothing I can do to do that. It's interesting. I've started to, in my workouts, I do these cold plunges now. And you would think that I would just be unable to think about anything. Quite candidly, when you're in 54 degree water, yeah, you're cold. But I found that I actually can focus on God and pray much more deeply. And one of the things that keeps coming to me as I pray is just to pray and to be in him, rest in him, to love him and no one else, to love him and to not try to earn it, to stop trying to earn it, but to try instead to do what I think would make him happy and to enjoy him and to fellowship with him. I still don't know how to do that, but that's what keeps coming to my mind. And when I think about this journey, I think it's a big step that I've understood that it's a, I'm a spiritual being that God wants to fellowship in a spiritual way because he's spiritual, that he loves me and I can't earn it, but that he wants to fellowship with me and, and wants me to enjoy myself and to enjoy him. And it's this relationship that is occurring and is building, growing and changing over time. That's really this journey. I can't say I'm there. I listen, I see people all the time and they've accept, they have Jesus in their life and they're like smiling like like they're silly. And I don't have that. I just I try, I think about it, and I'm like, gosh, is that what I should be like? I see people at church during worship and man, they are fired up and dancing. I'm not. 
But is my relationship with God just different because of who I am? I think so. Is it growing? Yes. Is it changing and evolving? Yes. So with that, let's go back to God in prayer. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this relationship that we have, that you walk beside me, you help me to understand, and you guide me. And Lord, I just lift up this reading in this time, and I pray as we're on this journey that you would guide us and help us to know what it means to love you, to love you with our whole heart, our whole being, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And Father, I just pray we would understand that I would understand what fellowship is with you. How I can truly incorporate your power, your joy, your love into my heart and truly experience it. And Father, I'm just so grateful that you're here, that you listen to us. So I thank you for all these things. And I just pray for your mercy to be upon our families, to watch over our children to watch over our loved ones and may your mercy be upon our nation, which needs your help. It's in Jesus name. I pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining me at just a guy and his journey back to God. I hope you have a great day.